Open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Colossians. We're back in the book of Colossians, and the last time we were in Colossians, we looked at, really, rules for relationships in the family of God. In other words, how we are to relate to one another in, in the family of God. Our text today really addresses, I, and I guess just for lack of a better word, rules. I hate to use that word, but uh, uh, for, for lack of anything else. They, they address rules within the family. Now Paul's going to talk about how are we to operate within our families. And the, 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 uh, the instructions really are straightforward. We can understand them. But how they apply and, and what they mean in, in all the various and, and, and potential scenarios uh, is, is often difficult to know. So we'll, we'll try to walk through these. Um, also, if you want to do, now that you're in Colossians, keep your finger there or your ribbon there and, and, and keep a marker in Ephesians chapter 5 because we're going to be going back and forth. Uh, the section Ephesians 5 verses 22 through 6, 8 or 9 uh, are, are basically parallel. In other words, Paul gives the same kind of information only in, in a little greater detail than he did to the church in uh, Colossae. So, uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husband lo- husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Uh, I, wanted, I want really three things I want us to look at um, in terms of overall uh, principles of these, of these rules. And, and the first one is that these are universal. Um, this is not something that was unique to the church in Colossae. Again, we see it in instructions to the church in Ephesus. But there, the language here is not is, is not lo- what I call local language. He's, this is not a, a... So often in Paul's letters, he addressed issues that that individual church was facing, and then we have to draw principles from that. Um, so, but that, that's not the case here. This, these are principles. These are universal principles. These, this is a universal teaching. This was not limited uh, in, in, in it even in its original context, just to Colossae. So these are universal. These apply to everyone at all times, uh, just as they are stated. There's no, there's no need to, you know, to, to adapt them. Uh, they're pretty much straightforward. Number two, I want you to notice they're reciprocal. If you notice while we're reading these, li- these rules, he didn't just talk to wives. He talked to husbands, too. He didn't just talk to children. He talked to fathers or to parents, too. He didn't just, he, he didn't just address slaves. He also addressed the masters. So uh, these are reciprocal relationships. Um, and, and this is what we need to understand in terms of the family. 
We each have obligations and duties to one another. Um, it's not all one-sided. It's not all up to the wife. It's not all up to the husband. It's not all on the children. It's also on the parents. It wasn't all on the slaves. It was also on the masters. So, um, these were reciprocal relationships. Each one of us, in our families, we have certain duties. We have certain obligations. We have reciprocal relationships. Uh, Number three, and maybe most importantly, is these are conditional. Uh, And here's what I mean by that. For instance, the very first one, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. Is that unconditionally submit? No. Who said yes? Yeah, see, there's a smart man right there. All of us have been married over 10 years ago. Uh, very good, David. Um, it's, in other words, it's conditional. Uh, it, a, a, a wife does not have to submit to her husband if in so doing she will be violating God's word. Um, all authority has been, in heaven has been given to the Lord and he has mediated some of that authority, but only God has carte blanche authority. So all of these are conditional. It is not... Um, now, I suppose you could say husbands love your wives. That's unconditional. But in terms of our duties and obligations, they, they, are, they are always um, under the authority of, of God Himself. All right? So there's some limits to these, of course. So universal, reciprocal, and conditional. Well, what are they? Well, <clears throat> verse 18, we might as well get right into it. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Go to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now, that everything is conditional. If he, you don't have to submit to your husband if you say, honey, we're going to go rob a bank. Um, <clears throat> okay? So, submit. What does it mean to submit? Notice it does not say obey. It does not say wives, obey your husbands. The, the, the old traditional wedding vows had obey. The wife would say, I promise to, to obey. That's not the instruction that the Bible has for wives. Wives are to submit. Now, what does it mean to submit? This is a, it is a difficult concept. It's a, it's, it's a difficult concept to, to, to define, and sometimes it's even harder to, <laughs> to practice. Here's my best shot. What's the difference between obey and submit? Think of submission as yielding. Um, when you come to uh, a stop sign, you are to yield. If you arrive at... Okay, here we go. When you come to a stop sign, in a four-way stop, and you, both cars arrive at the same time, what's the rule? You yield to... You yield to the person on your right. Did does someone make did someone make you do that? 
do, do people, I mean, is that coerced? No, you still can, as Dan would do, blow right through it. <coughs> yeah, <coughs> excuse me. So, there, it's, a, it's a yielding. It's, a, it's to defer and to yield. Submission is to defer and to yield. But it, it, it has more of a voluntary nature to it, as opposed to a coercion. Um, so, he says, wives, I, I want you to submit to your husbands. Not obey. Not, you're, you're not a child. Children are to obey. Slaves were to obey. So, guys, our wives are not children, and they're not slaves. Um, they are partners, and they are told to submit. Look at Ephesians. He goes into a little more detail in Ephesians. He says, ladies, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Now, this could be taken, the NIV took this, um, as you do to the Lord. So, in other words, the NIV took this phrase, as to the Lord, being... Just as you submit to the Lord, you are to submit to your husband. <coughs> Excuse me. I take this more this phrase as to the Lord as as if you were submitting to the Lord. In other words, your submission to your husband is is the same as you submitting to the, your Lord to the Lord. And he's going to say the same thing to slaves. He's, he's going to tell slaves as you obey your masters, you you are in essence obeying the Lord. Because this is what the Lord desires. Does that, is, am I making sense there? So in other words, I think he's saying to, that wives, submit your husbands as, as to the Lord. As, as if it was the Lord himself. Because that's really who you're submitting to. Ultimately, you're submitting to the Lord because he's the one who has told you to submit to your husbands. Also, he says in, in Ephesians, for Christ is, uh, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Now, uh, books have been written on this. There's no way we could possibly uh, talk about headship and all the aspects of headship. Um, but what we have here is this whole notion of authority and submission. <clears throat> really, not only just in the family, but in the church. But we also have authority submission in our world. Can you imagine? Well, yeah, we can imagine because we're, we're seeing more and more of it. When authority and submission breaks down, what happens to a culture when police no longer have authority? When, when people don't view a policeman as having authority, you know what happens? They shoot him. Have, have you noticed how many, it seems like more and more police officers are being shot and killed? What would it be like if our culture had no concept of authority and submission? It'd be anarchy. It'd be chaos. So at, at each level, whether it be um, whether it be in, in our culture at large, whether it be our family and the church, there is this notion of authority and submission. And for better, for worse, like it or not, this is what how he has set it up: that the the husband is the head, has authority, and the wives are to submit. They yield. They defer. Uh, Ephesians again. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Again, this whole issue of, of, of yielding and deferring. Not obeying, but yielding and deferring. So the first rule is for wives to, to submit to their husbands. Um, as unto the Lord, and back in Colossians 3, as is fitting 
in the Lord. This is appropriate. He's, he's defining what is appropriate in a husband and wife relationship, and that is the wife submits to the husband. Number two, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Again, Ephesians 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. And here he adds, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must... uh, However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. There's a lot in here. Husbands, first thing he says is we are to do what? In a positive, on, on a positive side, we are to love our wives. To love our wives. We're not the boss. When it says that Christ is the, or the, the husband is the head of the house, doesn't mean we're the boss. It doesn't mean we're dictators. It doesn't mean it's my way or the highway. That's not the, that's not the spirit in which God tells us we are to treat our families and particularly treat our wives. He doesn't say, you know, control your wives. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say dictate to your wives. He doesn't say that. He says love your wives. And goes in, in the in Ephesians, goes into this great comparison between how Christ loves his church and how we are to love our wives. Um, I'll never forget this. Um, we, it, was a, it was a men's Bible study. And a, a guy that no longer goes to our church, we were, we were talking about this as our responsibilities as husbands to our wives. And he, he really disagreed with this. He said submission is basically obey. He said, if I told my wife, so in other words, if, if, if I told my wife, go make me a sandwich, she'd have to go make me a sandwich. <clears throat> What's that? <clears throat> Excuse me. That, 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 that's not what he's talking about. We, we are not bosses. Our wives don't, we don't command our wives. We, we, we don't... We don't dictate. We're not dictators. We're not a boss. In fact, he describes this love as, as to, to, to nourish and to cherish. It's not that they just... God didn't give us our wives to wait on us hand and foot. That's not what he means. Now, oftentimes my wife serves me. But you know what? I need to be serving her too. So... Husbands, he doesn't say dictate. He doesn't say boss around. He says, I want you to love. And he says in Ephesians, that means to nourish, to cherish, which means to provide for them. It means to provide them security. It means to meet their needs. But Colossians, he says, there's a negative aspect too. He says, husbands, love your wives 
and and we have various uh, different translations uh, do different things with this. Do not be harsh with them, <clears throat> or don't don't embitter them. Don't give them cause to be bitter. Is probably the sense of it. Um, if we follow the NIV and other translations, it says don't be harsh with them. That's pretty clear. That's pretty straightforward. It's don't be harsh. Don't be overbearing. So many husbands are, are in, it seems in their marriages, are, are intimidating. They intimidate their wives. He says, don't be intimidating. Don't create bitter, resentful feelings because you intimidate and you're overbearing. That's probably the sense of it. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit your husbands. Yield, defer. But husbands, you are to have sacrificial love. Cherish and nourish them. That's husbands. What about children? Now we had children. Obey your parents in everything. Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Ephesians chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Same phrases in Colossians, only add something different. For this is right. It's the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Children, what is the children's responsibility? They are to, now they are to obey. This is not just a voluntary yielding. This is, this is, Strict obedience. They are to obey their parents. And he says, in all things. Now again, that's conditional. <clears throat> if your parents are expecting you to do something that's a violation of God's will, God's word, you are not required to obey your parents. Now, that doesn't mean um, make your bed <clears throat> is, not, is not asking you to do something contrary to God's word. Or I want you to be in, be in at 10 o'clock or at 11 o'clock, or whatever it is, that's not a violation of God's Word. So you need to obey that. Just, just saying. <clears throat> Isn't it interesting? He says, he says, obey your parents, not just when it makes sense to you. He doesn't say when you understand why they are saying what they're saying. It may not make sense to you. It may not make sense to why they are asking me to do this. God says, I still want you to obey them in everything, not just when it makes sense, not just when you want to. Now, now let me say something to parents. All of our young parents, I have spent, I would consider, significant time around them. And let me just say how much uh, I am impressed with our young families. And how they are how they are raising these children. So what I'm about to say does not apply to them. In fact, I commend you because I see I see you um, raising your children. I think in a biblical way. There are a lot of families though that children rule the house. Paul is say, Paul in his essence is saying children should not rule the home. Children are to obey their parents, not rule their parents. And there are so many, I see so many young couples that allow their children to rule their home. 
And here's what we always try to do in our home. And by the way, we talk about marriage and children and parents. Man, um, we've made plenty of mistakes. In so many ways, I feel so unqualified uh, to talk about this. I'm just trying to say what the Word says. Um, um, but but it's, I, I see so often... Um, we, we tried, we tried to tell our kids, if we were thinking to ourselves, if they can't learn to obey me and Vicky, who they can see, if I don't, if I don't enforce obedience to us, whom they can see, how will they ever learn to obey God, whom they can't see? If they can't learn to obey their parents as an authority, how in the world will they ever possibly live in obedience to the Lord whom they can't see? See, children, obey your parents in all things. And, as, and parents, you're, you're, uh, they are not to rule your home. And again, boy, but you, know, you, you talk about how to discipline and when to discipline, when not to, how to, when you, if you have to. Those are whole other issues. But the bottom line is, in the family, God expects children to obey their parents, not parents to obey their children. Not the other way around. And he says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 3, that this is not, this is not something that's just going to be uh, um, uh, uh, shackles on you, but in fact, he says, it, you will be rewarded. You'll be rewarded. Maybe not necessarily right away by your parents, but he's saying that as you learn to consistently obey your parents, you will be rewarded through, oftentimes, <clears throat> listen, when my kids obeyed us and, and, and they consistently obeyed us, we gave more slack. You know, they, 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 there's a trust that's earned there. So there's a sense in which you can be rewarded temporally when, as you earn trust through obedience. But ultimately, the Lord says, I'll, I'll reward you. I'll reward you. And, and, and if nothing else, the reward is a, a more peaceful, tranquil home. Children, obey your parents. It's interesting to me. Keep your, keep your marker here in Colossians. Um, turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Okay, I'm going to be very careful here. I'm going to decide where we start before I, before I open my mouth. Because apparently there's some games going on around out there. Okay, let's see. Where do I want to start before I say anything? Uh, okay, let's start in... Uh, Verse 28. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to, do, do a, to a depraved mind, so they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. Isn't it interesting? In this, in this list of 
of vices that are that are a reflection of a culture that has abandoned God. One of them that that Paul lists is what disobedient. Look at everything else that's around it. Uh, doesn't that doesn't that strike you as again? Gossip, slanders, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventing ways of doing evil, and disobedient parents. Disobedience to parents is the sign of a corrupt culture. It's an aspect of corrupt culture. One more, uh, 2 Timothy 3. Two different occasions. Paul includes this in his list of vices and sins. Second Timothy 3. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. And if you had to describe terrible times, here they are. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, and what? Disobedient to their parents. Ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, um, rash, treacherous, disobedient to parents. On two different occasions, Paul includes this, this disobedience as, as aspects of a, of a corrupt, God-hating culture. So we might get some insight as to why this is important to him. To live and obey your parents. Now, we, I was talking to, I don't know who I was talking to, but we were talking about when, when do children ha- no longer have to obey their parents? Because um, I, I have four children, they're all grown. At, at what point does my role as a father and Vicky's role as a mother become more of counsel and advice? Uh, for instance, obviously when they get married, she's yours now. Uh, obviously, when they get married, now, now, now they have husbands or wives. You know, it's different. But if they're not married, for instance, if um, uh, if Colin were not married and and he's twenty, twenty eight, and he and he and he's pastoring the church in Roswell, does he have to obey me? He, he's my child, so we understand. Uh, Usually, I think don't we don't we kind of go by uh, if we're still paying if they're still on the payroll, <laughs> they still have to obey. So, for instance, Brian Brian doesn't have to obey Tom and Carol. That's not the relationship they have anymore. <laughs> yeah. Okay, you, you, you get my point. But, but certainly while they're in our homes and, and in, their, in their growing years, he expects children to obey their parents in everything. In everything. Um, okay, four, fathers. Back in Colossians, fathers, do not embitter your children um, or they will become discouraged. Back to Ephesians. He says more. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So there's a positive and there's a negative. The negative is um, do not exasperate. Now, it's interesting that the text says fathers, pateras. 
and not parents. I think it probably is talking to parents, but he probably says pateras for a number of reasons. First of all, I think that what he's saying is ultimately, dads, we're responsible for discipline. And again, I've seen in many, many families, the husband abdicates that and lets the wife be the bad cop all the time. Uh, maybe he's coming home from work, he's tired. Uh, I remember when, when early in our years, we homeschooled. And I'd, I'd come home from work, and uh, it was my time to discipline. She'd been disciplining him all day. And now it was my turn to spank him. Now I'm just teasing. Uh, so, uh, so here's the thing. He, he says fathers, not because it's just limited just to fathers. It includes mothers too. But it tells me that, 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 that ultimately we're responsible for that in our homes. Uh, that, 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 that children should be under our control. Um, and and that, that's our primary, that, that's, that is probably our primary responsibility. But it doesn't mean that he's not talking to mothers too. But he certainly include mothers, we could probably say parents. But on the negative side, he don't, 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 don't exasperate your children. Don't, uh, Ephesians 6, don't, don't provoke them to anger. How can we do that? When we are erratic, maybe when we're inconsistent, uh, particularly in our discipline. When, when we as parents, uh, when, when we discipline out of proportion, um, I, I was, you, you'd be amazed at how good of a parent I was when I was a youth pastor. Until I started, until my kids started growing up, then I had no answers. Still don't have any answers. Um, but but I, I'll never forget this. I think you remember this. We had there was this young girl. I think she was middle schooler and uh, maybe maybe high school doesn't matter. And she came in late one night. They broke curfew, and they took away her curling iron. She couldn't use her curling iron for a week. <clears throat> now I don't know all the I don't know all the specifics. Maybe, you know, I don't know. But it just seemed to me, that just seemed to me kind of odd and out of proportion. And maybe we could come up with better examples. But um, and, and there's no guidelines. There, there's no guidelines to say if they break curfew, here's the appropriate way to do it. Because every family is different. Every, kid, every child is different. But I think the, the point is that we can exasperate our children sometimes when they do maybe a little, maybe comparatively something really small, and we lower the boom on them. I think we can exasperate that. Don't don't hear me saying I had it all figured out. I, I made plenty of mistakes. I there were a lot of booms that were lowered in my home that probably should never have been lowered. Um, I know that. I know that. Um, I'm just. So let's see. I think um, another way I think is is if we and sometimes you know uh, we get into this our kids can never do anything right. Uh, I, I, I remember listening to Chuck Swindoll one time, and he said this. It's always stuck with me. He says, he says, first of all, say yes as much as you possibly can. As much as you possibly can, say yes. And as much as you possibly can, find something to encourage them. Find something to, 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 to build them up. Find them doing something right and tell them that. If all they ever hear from us is what they're doing wrong, um, it can exasperate them. Again, I, I, I have no. I've made plenty of mistakes. Um, if I had, if I had it all to do over again, I don't know. I'd probably do the same thing. I don't know. But uh, 
but but I think he's saying fathers don't exasperate. And on the positive side, in in Ephesians he says, but raise them in the yeah. I love the King James, the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Here's the one thing that I think is very important for us as men, as fathers, is to nurture our children, to be nurturing. Fathers, dads, you need to nurture your children. You need to be intimate with your children. You need to be sharing feelings with your children. You need to be listening to them. That, that there, is a, there, is, there needs to be an emotional intimacy with your children. I, I love how the King James, to nurture and admonish them, encourage them. That's the positive side. Number five, slaves. Colossians 3, back in Colossians 3. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you to, to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. And whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and, and not for men. NIV, I like what they did. That these, This man he's talking about is, is their masters, their human masters. Since you know you receive inheritance from the Lord. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Now, this should probably, to our 21st century American ears, sound really offensive. Slaves and masters. So some of our translations, they try to soften this. They try to say bond servants or servants. This word is not used for servant. This was a word that was clearly used for slaves. We are not bond servants of Christ. We are slaves of Christ. Now here's, this could be a whole series. I've done a lot of reading on this. Slavery in the ancient Near East and, and the slavery in the New Testament times was very different than the slavery that we know of and we think about in terms of 19th, the 19th century South. So when we read this, we, we, we automatically, our, our, our thinking automatically goes to, you know, the South and the Civil War and, 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 and the slavery. Slavery was very, very different. Not completely different. There were obviously some similarities, but it was very different. For the most part, slaves were considered part of the family. They lived in the house. Most of them, or not most of them, many of them were highly educated. They would tutor their children. They would homeschool their children. There were some harsh um, masters, to be sure, but it was very, very different. It was a very different... Some estimates were said that during this time, during the first century uh, in Roman culture, anywhere up to a third of the population were considered to be slaves. And there were a lot of different kinds of slaves. And they became slaves for a lot of different reasons. They, they, they weren't just uh, people that were captured and drug in and whipped and beaten. It wasn't that at all. And that's why many have, have suggested that the equivalent of, of this for us is employer-employee. And that's not quite right either. It, it, it still was more slavery than just simply an employee. Because if you work for an employer, you can quit. Slaves couldn't just quit. Many of them, if not most of them, wouldn't want to have quit. Um, so I say that up front to say that's probably for another time, another, another discussion, but I just want you to know that it... Please don't read into this, you know, uh, 
the slavery that we are, have become accustomed to or that, that, we're, that we knew about in our country. It was very, very different. Um, some similarities, but obviously very different. Uh, in a nutshell, what is he saying to the slaves? If, if I were to, to bring this, if I was in a nutshell say, obey your earthly masters and everything, do it not only when their eye is on you, but with sincerity of heart. How would you, how would you phrase that in your own words? I call that integrity. Integrity. I don't... Okay, here comes the boss. Okay, now work real hard. The boss goes by. You know, it's integrity. It was integrity. Sincerity of heart. He said, I want you to work hard. And, and later on, he says, because you're ultimately, you're really working for the Lord, not for your boss. So I think, obviously, there's some principles here for an employee and employer relationship. Work hard. Have integrity. Well, how hard do you work when the boss is gone? Now, if your boss is okay with you, you know, taking a smoke break, you know, go ahead, David, take, take. Again, he, t- he tells them, you are in essence serving the Lord and, and from him you will receive your reward. Much like he says to the children. Only this time he says there are consequences. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs and there is no favoritism. And it's interesting to me that uh, when he talks about slaves, if you look at chapter 4, verse 9, he mentions one by name, Onesimus. Onesimus was a slave who ran away from Philemon. And we have a book in our Bible that Paul wrote to Philemon. And so... You can go there to look at how God viewed this slave-master-slave relationship. That was a side note. Masters, four one, chapter four, verse one. Finally, he says, "Masters, provide for your slaves what is right and fair, because you know that you have a master in heaven." And I want you to take a look at this relationship between slave and masters. And if, if slaves are doing what God expects them to do, and if masters are doing what God expects them to do, what happens to the institution of slavery? It may, it may be master and slavery in name, but functionally, it's family. It's family. And in fact, we, we, we see this, that when the Christian worldview, when God's principles are lived out, the very institution of slavery came crumbling down. What are the reasons for these? I mean, we, 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 they're, they're easy to read. They're easy to understand to a certain extent. In many cases, they're hard to apply across the board. What, what are the reasons? Uh, let me suggest three. To protect us. To protect uh, individuals from abusive uh, treatment particularly wives and children. Um, you know, some cultures view wives and children as property. And they, and they can beat them and they can abuse them and they can mistreat them. Um, so God gives us these instructions to really to, to protect, to protect against any kind of abusive treatment. Um, turn to Genesis 3.16. I, I was debating whether I wanted to bring but this is interesting. Genesis 3.16 Verse 16 follows the fall, and, and he's 
um, God is telling them the results of the curse as a result of their sin, as a result of the fall. Chapter 3, verse 16. Here is going to be the curse. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. There it is. And your desire will be for your husband. And he will rule over you. Now, that sounds, the first part sounds nice. Oh, dear, he's, his desire is for me. We, we are, my wife's desires for me. This is part of the curse. Look at chapter 4, verse 7. And we get very same words are used. He's talking to Cain and Abel. Or to Cain. Verse 6, The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires you. Same phrase used in the curse of the wife. What is the, what is the result of the fall? What is a wife's temptation because of the fall? It's to do what? To dominate. Yeah. Just as sin's desire for us is to is to dominate our lives, the, the, the wife's impulse, sinful part of the fall, is to dominate her husband. And what? Shall be what? Yeah, that that's that brings out the the desire that to, 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 to dominate and to take control. Yeah. But but what what is the what is the what is the Curse for the husband to do what? To rule. This is that harsh, uh, overbearing, just because he says, because sin, look at chapter 4, verse 7, sin desires to have you, but you must rule over it. You must control it. You must subjugate it. And so, very same word that he used, In in, in chapter 3, verse 16, the husband's natural bent as part of the fall is to to dominate and to control. These instructions, these reciprocal instructions in Colossians deal with that. They prevent those two things. As wives submit to their husbands, they don't dominate their husbands. As husbands love their wives, they won't rule over them. It's It's to protect all parties involved. Number two is to provide. It's to provide productive lives that are pleasing to the Lord and free from conflict. To the extent that we apply these things, our homes will be free from conflict. So it's not just to protect, it's to provide. But number three, I think it's to produce something. It's to produce marriages, it's to produce families that are radically different than what we see in our world. In our world, we see kids that are disobedient to their parents. In our world, we see husbands that are abusive, if not physically abusive, verbally abusive to their wives. We, we see infidelity. We see, we see all kinds of chaos and anarchy. And I think that what he's saying is, is, is if you follow these rules, if you live to the extent that you live according to these rules and these instructions, your, your marriage and your family will be a testimony to the Lord. If you're if if 
the average father, the, let me put it as if the honest father and the honest mother read this passage, you're probably thinking, man, I've made a lot of mistakes. It's not too late. It's never too late. It's never too late. Um, start over. <laughs> start over. Um, wives, it's never too late to start submitting to your husbands. Husbands, it's not too late to start serving your wives, loving and nourishing them. And children, it's not too late to start obeying your parents. Parents, it's not too late um, you know, to, 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 to lovingly nurture uh, your kids. It's not too late. But I think ultimately he wants our families to be uh, not just um, peaceful and productive, but he wants our families to be a poster uh, to the world of, of, of what it means to follow Christ and, and all of the blessings that come with following Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Um, and, and, and some of these are difficult. Uh, certainly they're countercultural, um, And a lot more could be said on these things. But I pray that, that as we read this text, as we read this passage, we would take very seriously these things. And Father, you know us. You know us better than we know ourselves. We are, we are so fallible. We are, we are so fickle. And we are so sinful um, that, that uh, apart from you, none of us can pull this off. So we ask that you would empower us. You'd fill us with your spirit. That our homes and our marriages and, and, and if, if we apply uh, this to our work life, that, that we would be model um, parents and model kids and model employees, and model employers. Lord, we would be a testimony to this world of, of what it means to follow you, and um, that, that it would bring you honor and you glory. We thank you, and we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Would you please stand and join hands?